0: From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast Hot Takes Edition, actually the day after Hot Takes, after Florida State manages a thrilling, pulls out a thrilling 31-28 win over rival Miami, stealing Miami's soul in the process, claiming that soul, and just going ahead and determining that For the foreseeable future, Miami is not going to be back. If by back you mean, you know, a team that contends for titles. If you mean by back what Miami has been through most of program history in Miami, then yeah, they'll they'll, they've will they ensured that they'll be that kind of back. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development, Internet marketing, and also some business counsel and so on to you for an affordable price. Give them a holler the best in the business on that and very affordable like i said let them know you heard about them from the unconquered podcast so just uh, just to explain why this hot takes edition is uh is running late cuz as most of you know these things normally hit within an hour or so after the uh after the game has ended not so this one i spent uh the second half of this game either driving to or in actually well I guess driving to it finished while I was on the road uh, we've got a had about an hour drive in driving to the emergency room with uh, one of my children so this was a a long, a long night and uh an interesting uh interesting situation actually I'll I'll <laughs> it's worth I, I taking a moment to give you some sense of my experience of this version of this year's episode of the florida state miami rivalry so uh this this was a weekend where it's a it's an exam weekend for my wife so she had to spend some extra time studying which meant that i was going to be doing double duty a good bit uh during this game where i had had that had the two children also doing everything i can to pay attention to the game in process so Things things are going well initially. You know, children are having fun. I'm I'm able to pay attention. And Florida State gets off to as good a start as you could have asked for. And that, that was one of the main points, one of the key things that I, I highlighted in the uh in the preview podcast is that this was a Miami team you really need to start well against because of the way that they are such a momentum team and such a momentum offense in particular. You've got to get them knocked off of their balance and 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 Florida State I felt needed to come into this game and win that first quarter and get into a position where they could hang on against the Miami team that has been uh hot and cold all year and you you the better off better that you start that game hot like this is the way that North Carolina beat miami, start out red hot, get a bit of a lead and then hang on for for dear life well that's sort of how this looked like it was going to start and Florida State was off to a great start up 17 to nothing at that point the win expectancy was 80 89.5 percent for Florida State and you know I'm feeling pretty good about life at this point I mean you know at my, my the, the two kids and actually enjoying seeing a little bit of the game uh, they're piling on me on the couch at different points. I'm having to pause things periodically to read a book to the younger one. You know, these sorts of things. It's it's the way things work at this point. That's that's all fine. But about the six-minute mark left in the second quarter, all hell broke loose. So this was right around the time Florida State missed a 52-yard field goal, which, by the way, I think it was the wrong call to kick the field goal there, given Florida State's uh history on kicking this year basically their their kicking game this year on longer field goals that i i didn't like that call to go for it uh to kick that i would have preferred either go for the first down i think it was fourth and four there uh go for the go for the first down or punt it in that situation and i'm not generally in favor of punting in long yardage situation or in the in situations where it's a call between a, a long field goal and a punt normally i'd say go for go for the field goal or go for it but in this case, because you've got a, a punter who's done a pretty good job of of pinning teams and your defense is playing really well, I actually disagreed with that call. It's one of the few few fourth downs that I I disagreed with, and analytics probably say go for the field goal there. But you you kind of have to know your uh, your field goal kicker's capacity there, and I, I just didn't feel real good about it. But anyway, I was well. It's the first thing that I really didn't like so far. Well. That was the least of my worries. Very soon, I mean, I think it was during the commercial break for that that uh, the younger of the two children, who's what thirteen months old, just about to turn fourteen months old, is uh, so going over to a uh, spot in the in the living room. shouldn't Shouldn't be pulling stuff around, and so I, 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 well, that kid, you know, doesn't respond real well to that, you know, in terms of being being told not to do something, and uh, you know, you get a little bit of that. That's what happens. And so the older older child comes over and decides I oh, I want to comfort comfort the younger one and so gives a hug and it's okay that's okay and then as often happens the older child who's about two and a half uh, when that older child is is hugging the younger well the hug turned into uh, basically a wrestling hold that went into the ground is you know affectionate but you know before too long you got older child basically in a headlock hugging the younger child on the floor so i'm stop that no 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 stop look look, you guys are you're gonna you're gonna hurt your your sibling here so older child rolls off younger child goes to get up and older child decides to resume the hug slash wrestling position from behind which then Causes the younger child to face plant into the side of the coffee table. I get up and i'm not uh thrilled uh n- very unhappy with the uh, decision of the older child at this point and grab the older child to take take the kid to sit in the corner and I look back and younger kiddo is standing there bleeding from the mouth like a stuck pig. now I've got two children screaming and distraught because I was um I expressed my displeasure to the older one as I was taking taking kid to the corner. But now I'm seeing this kid bleeding all over the rug and everything, and I've got to figure out where this is coming from. I determine the lip is split pretty badly. I I'm, I'm immediately carry the kid to the to the bathroom floor. And now I'm on the bathroom floor covered in my child's blood on my arm and all this trying to staunch the bleeding and figure out what's going on. I figure out I look at the lip and it's like, oh, man, this is this is probably an ER visit great. And I look out, I look out the doorway of the bathroom as I'm, you know, talking with the older child, trying to keep things calm. And right at that moment, I see Miami score. You Gotta be kidding me. They talk about things just taking a turn. So now it's 17 to seven and it's looking like I have to make an ER visit. And so at this point, I'm trying to get the kids set up to, I got to feed the older one before I go. I've got to set some things up. Uh, So my 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 mother, who's in town at this point, arrives at the house to help. And we get the kids to down. uh, We get the kids at the table to eat a little bit, keeping it liquid for the younger, because odds are they're going to have to use sedation when I get into the uh, into the ER. And I quickly eat what I can and start preparing to leave. Florida State at that point gets down inside. The red zone has to settle for a field goal. I look up and it's like, man, it looked like they were about to score a touchdown. So they go into halftime at twenty to seven, but I, I kind of feel at that point like, man, they missed an opportunity. This game should be twenty four to seven. Really not not thrilled by the fact that why is it, by the way, why is it that Florida State is always up by weird numbers against Miami? It's always thirteen or six or two, you know, these sorts of things. It's never three. Seems like it's never three, seven, ten you know those numbers where you feel like okay well you know they can score but you know odds are they're just going to kick the extra point or whatever no of course it's always okay when they score when they kick a field goal they go ahead well here we are and knowing florida state's history here it's like 20 to 7 i really do not like that score so as i'm eating to and prepping to go i'm also trying to catch up on the plays that i missed so you know i'm taking you know, i use youtube tv so i'm taking that back and watching everything and you know i sort of missed some of those plays so i'm catching up at that point and then i start prepping to leave all the more get everything you know getting stuff ready for for kiddo and at that moment my i see miami scores again so now it's 20 to 14 and i'm headed out the door and then florida state fumbles and miami scores again and i'm leaving and it's 21 to 20 miami now and i'm leaving for the emergency room and it's like good good lord well i mean About an hour, less than an hour ago, I was feeling pretty good about life and football. Things were things were golden. What just happened? And as I'm packing child into the car and I get settled in there and I turn the uh, I I turn the game on my phone, Miami scores again and now leads 28 to 20. And at this point, Miami has an 89.4% win percentage, which is almost exactly the reverse of what Florida State had before all this mess started. It's like, oh, my gosh. And my wife texts me at this point to tell me, look, I'm not going to be able to study knowing what's going on. So just pick me up. I'll go to the ER with you. OK, so I go pick my my wife up. And I tell her, look, you're driving. I'm catching up on the game. And because I got to try to get a podcast done and, you know, all this is going to going to go on. So she drives while I watch as I am watching. I, I'm catching up at this point. I'm I'm a few plays behind. So I'm starting to catch up. And on the one-hour drive, child is calmed down by this point in the car seat. Bleeding is mostly stopped, and this is when Florida State kicks kicks that field goal. Which I agreed with the decision at the time. I thought that was the right call, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And then just before we arrive, I mean, about ten minutes before we arrive to the ER, Florida State scores to go ahead and manages to pull this game out in just the most thrilling fashion and by that point i i mean i get into the er feeling pretty good man i mean but you talk about what a s this could, this could have been a soap opera episode because i mean it right when things fell apart i mean it was just completely fall it, you couldn't have scripted this more exactly in, in 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 this that right when everything was absolutely falling apart in the staples household it was falling apart for for Florida State on the field and right as things were starting to get to where we we're about to get things normalized and get things fixed things normalized and the world things get things the, the world went right on the field for Florida State so aye, aye, aye. what a what a scenario for me this is a game that I will never forget for a variety of reasons <laughs> but wow so I know many of you are not all that going to be all that interested in the uh, the soap opera that was the Staples household. But some of you, especially those of you who are parents, will appreciate uh, the the combination of uh, emotional states as things went in this uh, in this game. And now getting to actually discussing the game. And as always, this podcast brought to you by Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida best in the business in Jacksonville. If you have any real estate needs whether it's listing your house, whether it is uh whether it's buying a house, go through Lewis, let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. He'll treat you extra special, make sure you get everything taken care of as it should be. <laughs> so, talking about the game itself. This is a game that I fully believe Florida State fans, media people within the program will look at as the beginning of the turnaround of the program and the return to what Florida State should be. Uh, to me, this is a game that was similar to Jimbo's 2010 win over Miami, though that win, that win was not quite as close. But this this represents, for the program, some very similar things to what Miami to what Jimbo's 2010 win over Miami did and then you know of course Jimbo finished that year with the win over Florida that represented you you knew at, at in at the end of 2020 the status quo in the state of Florida had flipped it was over and Florida State was going to control the state for the foreseeable future and those wins were translated into immediate results on the recruiting side of things And the recruiting class that that resulted in is what led to, three years later, the 2013 National Championship, and then four years later, the the playoff appearance. We could be looking at the same thing here. This team could very well close the year with a win over Florida, with the mess that Florida is right now. Now, look, Florida has enough talent that that totally could go the other direction. But this team is headed in the right direction. Florida is a dumpster fire right now, and if they don't get that fixed, This team very well could close the year with two out of three games being wins over rivals in the state of Florida. That again, regardless of whether they actually are able to squeeze in a win over Boston college in between, and that's going to be tough with, with uh, Dracovic back for, for Boston college. And he had a really good game this weekend, regardless of all that we're seeing right now, the sleeping giant in Tallahassee is stirring. That's what this game means. And, and, you know, you could see this from Miami's media and and fan base. What? Well, I guess they're internet fans. And does Miami really have a fan base? I mean, I don't know. That's that's the eternal question. Do they have a fan base? State of the U Twitter account, the Miami my, one of the Miami uh, sites that covers covers Miami, tweeted out the following: Coastal, that's over. Season, that's over. Diaz's career in Miami, that's over. It all ends tonight. There is no more. Look, these guys know. The the folks who who cover and, and follow Miami, they know what this game meant. After this game, Miami, Florida State might as well have gone over to the Miami sideline and just claimed and walked off with the turnover chain. Florida State stole Miami's soul in this game. And after all the mojo that, that Miami has had over Florida State over the years, And you could still see it in this one. I mean, what in the world was that that fluky, lucky deflection for a touchdown? Mike Harley catching that touchdown. uh, I mean, you watch that and it's like, yep, it's Florida State-Miami. That's what happens. How? How does that stuff keep happening? And yet, Florida State in this one reversed that. This game was a reversal of all that negative stuff that Miami has always been able to do that has always broken Miami's way in these games i mean you go back to the jarman fortson uh play in 2009 all the missed field goals for florida state in this series the 2017 debacle where you had the uh the win- the one-on-one vertical win you know the the fade at the end of the game to win that for miami I mean, with very few exceptions, Miami has, has owned the last drive games in this series. I mean, there, there have been a few exceptions to that, but by and large, <laughs> things have just broken Miami's way over and over and over again in this series. And they've gone out and taken it in, in a few cases. But in many cases, it's just basically represent, represented Florida State just not making that final play. Well, in this game, they made that play. And they made that play with confidence. And they took care of business at the end of this game. And in terms of what this represents, like I said, the sleeping giant is stirring. This represents taking hold of the Florida, of of the state of Florida. Well, a bunch of five-star players and four-star players, I mean, top, top players, top recruits got to see this up close and personal including some guys who are, you know, looking at both Florida State and Miami and choosing between these programs, like Wesley Besaint, who would be a huge pickup at linebacker. So, I mean, this is proof of concept. These guys got to see proof of concept that, look, this coaching staff knows what they're doing, despite the fact that this team, I mean, any of those high school kids are going to look out there and be like, I can play here. Like, (laughs) I'm good enough to get out there. These guys aren't better than me. They can see that, but at the same point, they're going, and they're beating them. Between this and the Notre Dame game earlier this year, Florida State's big visit weekends have gone very well, and that certainly does not hurt you in recruiting. I mean, you got Marvin Jones Jr., who, look, as far as I, as far as I know, as far as I understand, he's been looking for any reason to believe that he should go to Florida State. It's one of those things of like, that's he grew up bleeding garnet. His dad still bleeds garnet. His cousin still bleeds garnet. I mean, these guys are that's that's a null family. You just have to give him a reason to to come. You have to give him some reason to say, look, you're not gonna come here and wallow in obscurity and not and end up not getting developed and wind up regretting your decision. Because you went to Florida State and didn't get developed and and didn't play for a top program, you just got to show enough to say, "Look, you should come here. You should live out your dream, and you're gonna you're gonna be able to play here. You're gonna be able to to get developed. You're gonna be able to to be a dude in a top program here. If you give him that proof of concept, I think he's a null, and I think this game went a long way on that. And beyond that, I mean, Keontae Goodwin." Good Lord, did you, some of you, if, if you haven't seen this, there's a photo of him standing next to Trey Thomas on the sideline, Florida, former Florida State uh, offensive tackle, Trey Thomas, who played decade in the in the NFL, mostly for the Eagles. And he's every bit as big as Trey Thomas. And, and for those of you who don't, who've never stood next to Trey Thomas, Trey Thomas is a gigantic human being. I mean, he's a good 6'7 plus and just a huge man. And this kid is every bit, I mean, the kid is a, is a unit. And that is exactly what the doctor ordered with how that kid moves. If you go back and you take a look at what he does on the field, there's a reason that guy's a five-star offensive tackle. And he was on, he was in town to see this and to know, and to notice like, man, I could come here and, there's there's real opportunities to play at the offensive tackle position in Tallahassee for a five-star, six-foot-eight, 335-pound guy who can move his feet like a basketball player. Yeah, there's a there's real opportunity to play. <laughs> you get to see that, and you get to see that, look, this coaching staff knows what they're doing. You get to watch Alec- Alex Atkins' work. That's a big deal. You get the IMG guys there. A.J. Duffy managed to get Catron Allen, the running back there. He managed to get Kamari Wilson, the five-star safety in town for this. <laughs> Duffy's been doing work, man, and those guys got to see this. And you know, those guys are those guys are elite talents. The corner from American Heritage on campus, Caden Lyles, the the Wisconsin transfer at uh, at center. I mean, a bunch of these guys, Javante Barnes. I mean, a bunch of of guys, uh, uh, Nigelic Kelly there is an unofficial. These guys got to see proof of concept and look, you just land five or six of those guys, which I mean, that's a tall ask you land five or six of those guys to go with what you've already got in terms of commitments and you flip the roster. And could you ask for a better proof of concept of what you can do in this defense as an edge guy for Marvin Jones, Jr. And, Nigelic Kelly, who are your top two edge prospects there. Could you ask for better proof of concept than what Jermaine Johnson just did? Seven tackles, five tackles for loss, three sacks. Are you kidding me? In this game? In that environment? And his best play wasn't even a solo tackle or a sack. It it was his tackle coming across the field, an assisted tackle, Will Mallory is is fighting for extra yardage against a DB and then you know a, a linebacker coming in and he's trying to twist forward and and get first down yardage on a third down play that you've got to get that stop. And at this point, Jermaine Johnson has to be absolutely spent because he has not come off the field. And what do you see? You see this guy finish the pass rush sprint all the way across the the field, all the way across the formation, and finish with a a huge hit to make sure that 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 play gets stopped at fourth and two instead of fourth and one, fourth and a half yard, maybe even getting the first down. Nope. Jermaine Johnson puts a stop to that, gets his helmet to the football, and boom. (laughs) I mean, look. That dude's... Question: Is this a is he the best defensive transfer ever? I think for Florida State that's that's a no no brainer. But I want to know who has been a better defensive transfer from one program to another than what Jermaine Johnson has done for Florida State this year. I, I don't, I don't know of any. That doesn't mean that there hasn't been one, but he's in the discussion. And he's definitely up there with Walter Jones as the as one of the two best transfer players in Florida State history. You know, Walter Jones coming in as a as a JUCO guy. Those are the two best one year players Florida State has ever had. I mean he it, he has he has been the Lamarcus Joyner, James Wilder Jr. You, you remember when Florida State got those guys? it changed things in terms of the the perception of Florida state in state, but he's the, he's that he's the LaMarcus joiner, the James Wilder, Jr., the Ron Simmons of this, of the, of this turnaround for Florida state, a culture changing transformational player. I hope he's around Tallahassee a bunch after he graduates and goes pro. He's a guy you want around. And I mean, he was, he's, you realize he's one sack away from the single season top 10 list at Florida State. And you know how many, you, you know what that list, you know, the guys on that list. I mean, that is a bunch of dudes. I mean, those are, those are hall of famers on that list. And I think he's right up there in the discussion with the best edge players in school history and at Florida State, that's saying something to me. You've got Bullwear, Wadsworth, Wilson. Maybe Derek Alexander, and then I think you're. I think he's in the tier with basically maybe everybody below Bullwair Wadsworth and Wilson. I mean Brian Burns, Jamal Reynolds. I mean those guys. I think he's right in that tier, of the Jamal Reynolds tier of edge guys at Florida State. And what that means, I I, I will say this: I was so so wrong about what to expect out of Jermaine Johnson this year. I mean. I was right about Mackenzie Milton. I was right about a, a bunch of things in terms of my evaluations of, of a lot of the guys that they got in, but I, I'm, I miss this one because I, you know, I, I talked about like, look, his pressure rate, his overall, you know, rate of, of, uh, of success at Georgia was pretty comparable to what we saw from Janarius Robinson last year. And, you know, it's was like, well, you know, expect, Probably a better fit. I mean, you'll remember, those of you who listen, maybe a better fit for what Florida State does. So overall, better production, but not by a mile, because, I mean, this the, the numbers don't necessarily bear that out. And you could see, you know, he's a really good player at Georgia. Put that on tape. But, you know, given that Florida State's replacing really good overall talent, are they going to get that much better production out of him? Well, <laughs> oh, boy, was I wrong. And to, honestly, it's all about how hard he plays. And, you know, Tom Block tweeted out, uh, he, he responded to something that I said uh, yesterday, where he said that one of the, one of the guys at the, uh, on the coaching staff had basically told him, he said, we expected, we knew he'd be good on the field. We had no idea he would be the hardest working player on the team. And that's what he's brought. The, the most impressive thing about him might be just the way that his motor does not quit. He just does not seem to get tired. This guy could have played on any of the dynasty teams and would have fit in with that culture, no question. And he already carries himself and plays like a professional. He he just he's a pro, dude. And guys like Marvin Jones Jr., Nigel Kelly, and those guys all got to watch him do a demolition project on Miami, up close and personal. And then they get to go to the coaching staff and hear. You see what that guy did? That's the position we'd like you guys to play. You see the plays that can be made? You see how we can develop you into this, in this defense? We can put that kind of film on, 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 uh, on. We can put that kind of stuff on film here and have you ready to play in the pros. That's a pretty good selling point. So, big deal. Parchment. Oh man, I was going to spend like 15 minutes on just ripping parchment for <laughs> for, for the, the situation where he stopped running on a play where Jordan Travis put out an absolute dime of a deep ball. And if he just keeps running, he, he almost certainly scores there. I was going to absolutely, because I, I thought at that point that was probably the ball game. That if they score there, they're right back in it, and and have a good shot of winning that game. And when, when that one hit the turf, it was like, well, mm, that you may have just lost that game because this guy stopped running. And the worst part about it is the reason he stopped running was that he didn't expect to get the ball, and so he stopped running so that he was taunting. He was waving his his hand at and taunting, waving at the uh, at the at the corner that he turned around so badly off the line of scrimmage. He knew he'd roasted that guy, and so. This is you know seven on seven stuff where you start talking trash and you start telling that DB how he can't how he can't guard you, all while the ball's in the air and he had no idea. And the reason for that is you know I think that was a mesh concept uh, that, that that was being thrown. And normally speaking, the way that this play works, you almost never throw the go on that. It's a clear out. The way the mesh works is you've got two shallow crosses, you've got usually a dig route behind that, and then you either have a go or a post or oftentimes a corner that, you know, the more traditional mesh is going to be a corner there, but more teams uh, like Norvell, uh, more, more uh, aggressive coordinators add a go or a post with that so that they can get a, a deep shot there. But the way that this works is generally speaking, that go is out. I mean, it's a clear out and Parchment knows this. He's smart enough to know that, but it's a great example of why as a wide receiver, you run every play like you're going to get the ball. Because the way that this works as a quarterback, any good quarterback who knows how, how the, who has learned how to go through the progression quickly, what you teach is on the mesh, you peak the go first, you just peak it. So as you're catching the snap, you peak the go. And if your guy is, has, has won the matchup and he's wide open down the sideline, you take the go, but you peak it. Normally what happens is you peak the go. It's, there's not enough space. So you immediately come off and you check that dig route. You see is that if the dig route is going to hit and if the dig route doesn't hit, then you hit the mesh. You hit one of the shallows. That's your that's your read progression. Parchment knew that. So he's expecting that that ball is going to go to the dig or to one of the mesh routes or that, you know, Jordan Travis is going to take off running. And so he decides to taunt the DB for how bad he roasted him on that takeoff route. And then he realizes, oh, shoot, ball's coming. I man, I was gonna rip him a new one. And I'm still real I mean, I tell you what, if I'm Ron Dugans and, and Mike Norvell and, and Dillingham, he's he's paying the Piper for that for that play all week. He's he's gonna be he's gonna be paying the price for that. But then just when I thought he couldn't get any dumber, he goes and does a thing like that and catches a twenty four yard reception. Down to the one down to one foot out on f- fourth and 14 with the game on the line and totally redeems himself. Oh man. Oh, so you talk about this. He, he gets his Dominic Robinson moment, you know, that, that fourth down catch against Florida that, that won that game. And, you know, look, especially with where he's from. Parchment's going to be able to wear this one with pride the rest of his life. Good for you, son. son good for you, young man. That, that was a play. And that's something, you know, and a great dagger concept there uh, in terms of the call. You got an inside clear-out route and a square in behind it. to a, a, a throw that is a pretty comfortable throw for most quarterbacks as long as you can protect it. And it's a throw that's gonna break open with the receiver uh, coming inside like that against a lot of zone stuff. And, and you're still running away from man. So you got a shot there. It's a good concept in that situation. But good on you, Parchment. Good on you, Andrew Parchment, for redeeming yourself the way that you did. And that brings us to Jordan Travis, who, look, he does, he he has had limitations. He does have limitations as a quarterback. And he 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 knows that. That's one of the reasons why he's be- become a good quarterback is because he recognizes and he knows his limitations. That's why he doesn't turn the ball over a bunch. If you've got a quarterback who has certain limitations and he knows the limitations he has, you've got a guy who can be a good player. And this game proved that he has developed as a passer. Is he a, a you know an NFL drop back passer? No, 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 no. He's still got lots of room to grow. No doubt, but this game showed that he has improved and is developing in that department. You could see the confidence there, and he won this game with his arm, not with the, not with his legs. Now he kept things alive with his legs, but eighteen to twenty six for two hundred and seventy four yards, nine point three, nine point four five point four five yards per play on dropbacks. So every this is on pass attempts. He was sacked three times. So including sacks, he's 9.45 yards per play as a thrower. And his win percentage average on dropbacks as a thrower, again, this is on, on pass plays, 61%. You have a quarterback that basically does what he did statistically. You're going to win 61%. Tyler Van Dyke, who came in red hot, scorching hot, 31% on that, on his day. So, I tell you what, Jordan Travis, he just keeps keeps doing it, and he did it with his arm. I mean, look at that last drive, dropped a dime on a slot fade, which I love that. I've always loved that concept, and I've talked about it multiple times on this show, that as, as a guy who, you know, coaches quarterbacks, I love that that concept because it's a it's just such a, an easy throw for a quarterback for a lot of bang for your buck, and so he, he gets that, and then again that dagger concept to win it, that that's a throw. Look, it's a it's a throw a lot of quarterbacks can be comfortable with, but you still have to throw that on time to the correct window, and he nailed it. That, I mean that was a big time throw in a big time situation, and look, the dude is a flat out baller. And he just finds ways to put his team in position to win. You can win with guys like that. You get enough people around him and you can win games. You can win a lot of games. And he showed, the other thing is that he showed leadership throughout this game. I mean, even once he got banged up and had to go to the locker room to get his arm looked at, you, you never felt that he got down. You never saw his head hang. You never saw the loss of confidence. That guy still believed they were going to win this game. And it's a big reason why they did. So, just getting into a little bit more of the uh nitty-gritty here defensively. Question. Is when was the last time you saw Florida State outhit a team like like they did against Miami early in the game? So, those of you on Patreon, social media, Twitter, what Instagram, whatever, Facebook, let me know. I want to know what you think. When was the last time you saw Florida State defense come out and play as physical as Florida State did in the first quarter against Miami? They came out and set an absolute physical tone with the Miami offense. They came out and they punched them in the mouth and they punched them in the mouth and they, you you know, body blow or two early on where you saw like, whoa. These guys have determined that they're going to come in and they're going to be the bullies. When was the last time Florida State out hit a team like that? I, I, I actually don't have a good answer for that. I, I've been thinking about that. I don't know. 2016, maybe? 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 And they dominated the line of scrimmage. I mean, Miami was 0 for 4 on power run situations. They the the Florida State defensive line dominated that Miami offensive line, which has the second most starts of any offensive line, the second most experience of any offensive line in the country to uh, to the one at, at Minnesota, and they got dominated by Florida State's defensive line. And then beyond that, the defense forced turnovers, multiple turnovers, and those early ones really mattered. Those two interceptions, Omari and Cooper, look. They they actually have a defensive back who can catch. How many games over the past three years would Florida State have won had they just caught interceptions? Had they when the balls that they had, their both hands on that looked like easy interceptions, if they just caught those interceptions, how many more wins would Florida State have? Five, six, maybe more. And then after that, Jamie Robinson with another big, I mean, first of all, he came up and laid the lumber and then just happened that the ball fell into his lap. Another big time pick. Those, those plays set the tone for this, for this game. And with the way that Van Dyke got hit early, and then those two interceptions that, uh, that impacted him the rest of the game. And it really impacted him for at least the quarter and a half uh, in, in the first half. It wasn't until the, uh, the, the trick play, basically, that he was able to hit a wide-open Mallory down the sideline, that he started showing some signs of life and confidence. They got at, after him, and they, they affected his confidence, and he was missing throws after he got beat up and then threw those two picks. You could see they, they, he was not the same guy. And that, again, it was a good defensive game plan overall because they were able to hide some weaknesses. You know they They, they kept from some of the really bad matchups most of the game. And they took advantage of and they created some good matchups up front and were able to get after the running game and and after the quarterback. And that's that's the biggest reason they won the game. I mean, I said in the pregame podcast, they needed to start well in this game. This is a game that was going to turn very much on the first quarter because of how much of a momentum team Miami is. I mean, they are a hot and cold team, and you have to take them out the way that, that North Carolina did. And they did that. They went out 17 to nothing. Could have been even worse. and and took care of business early before Miami was, which Miami is a more talented team in this game, no doubt. But before Miami could figure out and find their feet and let talent win, they were already down 17. And that's what Florida State needed to do in this game. Because Miami, like I said, more talent on the field, playmakers on offense, a team that should have won this game. But Norvell and that staff found ways to create some matchups and get some plays early in the game to spot themselves 17 points so that then they could basically hang on from there. And how did they do that? They dominated first down. They didn't, you know, they, I think it was 1.8 yards per carry for Miami. They mostly avoided big plays, mostly. And then they held tight when, when they got down into, uh, into, into tough situations. And you think about it. What, what what scores did they give up? They gave up 28 points, and they gave up a touchdown on a short field. They gave up a touchdown on a uh, on a drive that was extended after a missed field goal. One touchdown was a fluky, lucky third third and goal from the 10 play, where it deflects off of one guy, goes over two Florida State defenders who are in position for a potential pick, and into the hands of of Harley in the end zone. I mean, just total fluke, and then the trick play that flipped the field. Those are those are the drives that they gave up. They gave up scores. All you know, the scores that they gave up. You're like, well, you know, it's kind of bad fortune there. They handle their business defensively. Five point one yards per play. Really, really good job by the floor or by the Florida State defense. And offensively, offensive side of the ball. By the way, brought to you by Shenandoah Newsman of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. She knows how to play offense on the real estate game. You can find her at shenrealestate.com. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. On the offensive side, I thought the offense, the offensive staff had a great, not a good, but a great plan in this game. And they found all sorts of creative ways in the confines of their offense to create space early and maximize what they have on offense. And they capitalized on uh the defense's early domination with good complementary football to pull out some tendency breakers and some wrinkles and some uh some funky things to get some space and to create some early early runs so that they could take advantage of those early defensive stops and that's complementary football if they had not if they you know just punted on those first first uh first couple drives and not taking advantage of the the turnovers and and the defense's domination, they don't win this game. I loved how they used the bash toss read play. So that's a back away from the pullers, and so the quarterback has a read situation there where he's he's taking a look at at, at, a, at a flow player. And if the flow player goes with the with the the pullers, then he tosses it to the back, who now is either completely wide open in space or he's one-on-one with somebody in space and you, you really like your matchup there. And then if that flow player stays with the, with the toss, if he's going to go stick with the the running back and the quarterback follows and it becomes basically quarterback power. I I, I just love that concept, the bash toss power read play. it. And they use that to perfection early again, taking advantage of Miami's tendency to overflow on, uh, on poles and things like that and and run to the ball and their defensive aggressiveness. And they used that against Miami over and over again. They set up some big pop pass uh, opportunities to the tight end, took advantage of that. They got matchups that they liked in the passing game. I mean, this, this game marked the return of Jakai Douglas with the same kind of stuff that he did against Notre Dame, who, by the way, RG three called him Juki Douglas, which honestly, I kind of like as much as I RG three really needs to find another profession. Uh, But, you know, the guy, he can he can juke, but man, he uh, four catches for 90 yards and some really, really key plays handled his business. Parchment and Wilson uh, got, you know, they made big plays where they could and they found ways to get it done. The thing is they, they, they sort of emptied their clip in the first quarter, first half to get those 20 points. And then Miami was able to kind of get dialed in on some of what they were doing. And you could see Miami's talent start to take over a little bit in the second half. And especially as Miami, you know, they probably got a butt chewing at, at half. The the effort level for that defense changed in the second half and they started clamping down on Florida State. And you could see, again, this is the, the talent sort of n- normalized in this game. But they still found some ways to get it done in the second half and make just enough plays to score 10 points and win the game. I thought they'd have to score 34 to win this game somewhere around there 33 34 but they were able to get it done with 30 because the defense played so well and they did it with chunk plays i mean they found ways to scheme up plays for playmakers and the playmakers made those plays 15 chunk plays 310 yards which means that out of i think they had what 72 plays 70 percent of your offense came on 15 plays so 5.9 yards per play, 3.9 yards per rush, and 9.0 yards per pass attempt. That nine is where where the game was won. And again, Jordan Travis, good on you for developing as a passer and finding ways to be efficient. And again, understanding your limitations and knowing how to make plays with your arm in contexts where defenses are going to give you opportunities. I mean, maybe the most important number here. For Jordan Travis, zero interceptions, zero fumbles from Jordan Travis. He managed the game and he managed the game by making big plays with his arm. And, you know, also offensive or also in terms of of other things, just miscellaneous stuff. I thought the coaches, I thought the coaching staff made the right call situationally over and over again in this game. The one call I disagree with is a 52 yard field goal attempt. I think you have to feel confident in your kicker to make that call. But you know, maybe he's been making those in practice, I don't know. But that was not one I was a fan of. But everything else, I thought it was absolutely the right call to kick the field goal down eight. You got five minutes, what, four, four minutes and change left, I think. And you, that means you're going to need a stop either way. So even if you score a touchdown there, even if you go for it on, what was it, fourth and four, fourth and five, something like that, even if you go for it, you're going to need a stop. Because if you don't get a stop, even if you go for it and you get the two-point conversion, which is the two-point conversion, you go for it, it's about 50-50. Two-point conversion is about 50-50. So you're looking at basically a 25% chance that you're going to actually tie the game. 25% chance to tie the game. And that's that's not great. And even if you tie the game, you still have to get a stop. So, If you kick the field goal, which you think is about probably 85, 90% chance from that spot that you're going to make the field goal, kick the field goal, now you have to get a stop, but you had to get the stop either way. And if you do get the stop, you still get another crack at the touchdown, and you've got a better than 25% chance of of doing that if you can make one big play. So it's going to come down to a fourth down or a two-point conversion either way. What you don't want is for it to come down to a fourth down and a two-point conversion. So I think that's the right call. It did come down to a fourth down conversion again, fourth and fourteen. Good on you, Char- good on you, Andrew Parchment. Good on you, Jordan Travis. The other thing that I, I think needs to be uh, recognized is don't overcomplicate the situation from one foot away. You're on- you're one foot out on the goal line. A lot of coaches get real tricky, try to try to get cute there. And actually, this is something I critiqued the North Carolina staff for against uh, Pittsburgh. They got down first and goal from the two, and they got cute. And I actually said this uh, for Inside Carolina, for my coverage responsibilities for that. I said, look, they should have, in that situation, first and goal from the two, they should have just quarterback sneaked it because they're kind of inside the two. Four quarterback sneaks, and you're probably going to get two yards, especially if you, you know, formation it just right, and your quarterback just comes under center quick. Tom Brady's gotten, you know, done this stuff for years. He's recognized that that's a, uh, that's a under, underused asset. And if you've got a quarterback who can, you know, who's got strong legs and who can run a little bit, you just let the offensive line fire off and let the quarterback find a, find a space. And, you know, you get a yard, you get a yard again, four quarterback sneaks, and you should get in. And in this case, even with Miami doing everything they can to sell out, you're going to score. You get four quarterback sneaks, you're going to score. Don't overcomplicate the situation from one foot away. And they didn't. And this is also why as a spread team, you still practice taking snaps from under center. So good for you, Mike Norvell. It also kind of points out that that was a really dumb decision from Manny Diaz and the Miami coaching staff, which should have told their defensive line, let them score. They're almost certainly going to score if they get under center and quarterback sneak it as well as we can play they're probably going to get it in in four opportunities and if we stop them once or twice we're going to have no shot to to get back but no Manny Diaz turned into a defensive coordinator rather than a head coach there and thanks for that Manny so i mean look this is a huge win for Florida State this is as as big a win as Mike Norvell has had i think it's the biggest win he's had by a good good measure cuz look they they beat a top 10 North Carolina team. And then they beat North Carolina on the road again. It's a good North Carolina team, but a North Carolina team that's underachieved this year. And it's hard to sell recruits on, well, we beat North Carolina, but when you're at, when you beat teams that you're actively recruiting against every year, and Miami is one of those teams that you recruit against when you beat that team. And that team was Projected to be really good at the beginning of the year, and and they they've been selling a lot of buzz, and you know they've got national championships and all of that other stuff, and it's a rivalry game, you can sell that, you can say, look, we're a field goal away from winning against Notre Dame, who is one loss Notre Dame. Don't even mention the Jacksonville State game, but that, they're that close to potentially being in position for eight wins. Not that they can they can walk in now until tell recruits, like, look, this is how close we are. We've shown it. Shown proof of concept. But we're just we're just a few players away. Oh, as it turns out, you're one of those guys that really can change us from being a few players away from having the players to be what we should be. It's a pretty good sales pitch. We're going to be able to do that. And that's a wrap. As always, rate and review the podcast. Need more ratings for sure. Uh, if you can rate and review this podcast, if you've been getting a bunch out of it, rate and review the podcast and uh, share it on social media. Let other people know about it. It uh, certainly helps us uh, find more uh, more time and more ability to do it the more people are actually listening and engaged. So rate and review the podcast. Really appreciate all of you who are su- uh, supporting on uh, Patreon. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and The Unconquered Podcast Shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.